0: As sure as the Lord came the first time, He's coming again. Hear all about it next on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Zion, I all now with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harm. Mark Twain once quipped, All you need in this life is ignorance and confidence, then success is sure. Well, all kidding aside, to be confident about things we don't know should cause us at the very least to get informed. And we'll do that today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. You know, there are many things we could be uninformed about that have no bearing on our lives. But when it comes to life and death issues or things the Bible points to, we'll want to take note and learn about them. There are four things the Bible tells us the church today is uninformed about, and we'll take a look at them and focus on one in particular. That is the coming of the Lord. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Starting with
1: verse 13, there's Pastor Ed. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if, or better, since a class condition in the Greek language, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed, go before those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord." Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, brothers and sisters, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. We'll stop there and pray. Lord, we ask that you... Help us to understand these important verses and have a great expectation for your soon coming. Teach us now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. A coming attraction. It's attractive, and it is coming. His name is Jesus. I read about a young pastor who was in his... First Sunday morning in the first church he'd ever pastored, just out of school. Older pastor had turned the pulpit over to him, and he decided that he would teach on the verses we're looking at, and uh, he wanted to start it with a real bang. And so he uh, looked uh, around in Scripture and found Revelation 3.11, which says, Behold, I come quickly, Jesus speaking. So he thought that would be a powerful way to start it. So he he comes up, runs up to the pulpit and says, Behold, I come quickly. And then his mind went blank. (laughs) He couldn't remember what he was going to say after that. But then he remembered that in school they taught him, if you forget where you are, repeat the last point you just made. He just started, but so he backs up, and he decides, I'll do it again. And he runs forward and says, behold, I come quickly. Nothing. <laughs> Churches looking at each other going, why did we hire this guy? You know? And so he walks back and he says, I just have to do it more forcefully. I'll get into it this time. And he charges the pulpit and says, behold, but he knocks the pulpit over, and he falls into the front row on the lap of a 93-year-old man. Usher's run down, trying to help him off. He's apologizing to the old guy. I'm really, really sorry. I I didn't mean to land in your lap. And the old guy says, oh, that's all right, man. You warned me three times. (laughs) (laughs) So Jesus Christ has warned us many more than three times that he is coming again. In fact, it is a major theme running through the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Three of the four Gospels have a whole chapter set aside to this subject, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. The Old Testament contains 1,845 references to the second coming of the Messiah. And of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, 318 of those verses, have something about Jesus' return. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament speaks to this subject. And for every verse about Jesus' coming first, his first coming, there are eight concerning his second coming. So the Holy Spirit is obviously trying to teach us the importance of this event. Jesus himself said in John 14, 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, we're told how he will come again, at least partially. Now, when he had spoken these things, as they watched, Jesus was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadily towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, Who said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And they left the Mount of Olives. So there's no question for Bible-believing Christians whether or not Jesus is coming again. It's taught throughout all of Scripture. But even with all those many verses in Old and New Testament, God has purposefully left many of the details obscure, not described, veiled, concealed. That's led to a lot of speculation, so at least speculation about the timing, his timing of when he's coming, and speculation about the real mechanics of how it will work. In spite of that, hundreds of people have tried to guess Jesus said in Mark 13 32 but of that day and hour no man knows not the angels which are in heaven not even the son only the father so father God has left that to his own decision the first coming of Jesus is a matter of history the second one is a matter of prophecy God said it it's going to happen that he came the first time is assured and that he is coming again is just as assured we may not know when but he is coming so we've come to yet another scripture that is a, a controversial area it's a war zone for some theologians and denominations i uh, will try not and make it that here this morning i obviously after studying the bible for the many 40 some odd years that i have have an opinion about it. And uh, of course, you don't have to agree with me. But as I've warned you before, I'm a terrible I told you so. When we get to heaven, I will say, see, I told you. Let's jump in and think a little bit about what's going on here. First Thessalonians, one of two letters Paul wrote to the small church in northern Greece is really an answer to some questions they had. Paul had been there a short time, four weeks, something like that, a month, then left, actually forced out of town, went down to Athens, traveled by boat, then over to Corinth, and he sends Timothy back so there wouldn't be another riot when Paul was there. He always caused riots or great revival. So he sends Timothy. Timothy goes, and he comes back with a couple of questions from the people in Thessalonica. It seems that even though Paul's only been gone, maybe a couple of three months at most, that some of the believers there had died, gone to be with the Lord. But the people that were there in the church, these new believers were confused by that. They were worried whether or not they had missed those people who had died, whether they had missed going to heaven. That somehow you had to be here? They were looking forward to Jesus coming. They thought it was right then. What happens to grandma? She died, and so did she miss going to heaven? So Paul is writing in response to that question. It's important to keep that in mind so it'll make sense. Paul is writing about what happens to people we love when they die. And in fact, something that will happen to all of us in this room who are believers that God is going to return and draw together his church. They're worried, what about, and we all have people like that who have gone to be with the Lord, and what about them? What are they doing right now? What are they seeing? What's going on? He doesn't answer all those questions, but he does assure us that we'll all be joined together very soon. It breaks it up into three parts, 13 and 14, sleeping saints, 15 and 16, startling sound, actually sounds, three of them that are going to happen, and then this radical rapture in 17 through 5, 3. I think it's an amazing part of Scripture. Not something to fight over. It's really exciting, and I hope it comes across that way to you. If you've never studied it before, it'll blow your mind. Verse 13, Paul writes... But I do not want you to be ignorant, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, uninformed about this and actually three other things. Four things Paul has written about in the Bible that he doesn't want believers to be uninformed about. And it's interesting to me that all four of them are issues that are still bantered about by Christians. Before we get to
0: those four things, we wanted to pause here and acknowledge those just joining us. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, and we're glad you're with us. Now before returning to First Thessalonians chapter 4, Pastor Ed will inform us on those four things he mentioned a moment ago.
1: The first one, 1 Corinthians 10.1, Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about Old Testament truths, that the things that happened to those in the Old Testament were a model for us so that we would understand the character of God and how God works. Many churches never read the Old Testament, never study it. Many believers don't read it. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the Old Testament, but many believers are. The second thing he says is now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant, 1 Corinthians 12-1. I don't want you to be ignorant, uninformed, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yet, I would say that the church on a whole, the body of Christ, is very ignorant about spiritual gifts today, probably more than any other area in the church. Thirdly, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning Israel. Concerning the Jews, Romans 12, 11,25, excuse me. Israel's going to be restored," Paul said. And for 1,900 years the church said no way. <laughs> We're the nation of Israel. The church, the body of Christ, are God's chosen people. No. <laughs> I've got all kinds of books, thousands of them, many of them written before 1948. And they all say the church are the Jews. The church, we together are Israel. Mm, no. <laughs> 1948, the Jews became a nation again. And we've watched an amazing that Ezekiel 37 has taken place. God brought all the dry bones together. Jews from all over the earth coming together in our lifetime, many of us. So the fourth thing Paul says that he doesn't want us to be ignorant about is the rapture. Controversial subject in many circles, but in fact, scriptural. And that's why these verses are often not even taught in church, because the pastor doesn't know how to handle them. The denomination doesn't know how to handle them. Just accept it the way it wrote. It was written, and it it sounds strange. Some of these concepts are like, wow, but Paul says, count on it. It's going to happen. He says, he doesn't want them or us to sorrow as others who have no hope. In, in the Greek culture, Roman Empire at this time, they had no hope for after death. In fact, some of their philosophers wrote some pretty depressing things. Ashaites wrote, once a man dies, there's no resurrection. <laughs> Theodorus wrote, there is a hope for those who are alive, but those who have died, they're without hope. Wow, that's a happy thought. Catullus wrote, When once our brief light sets, there is one perpetual night through which we must sleep. Doesn't that cheer you up? The most common Roman tombstone, the epithet on it is, I was not, I became, I am not, and I care not. Wow. <laughs> um, hmm. But we have a hope, we have an expectation, we can rejoice because God has left us this information that those that have departed from us are in heaven with him. And when we take our last breath here, we'll be in his presence too. Let's go a little deeper, verse 14. For if we believe, I mentioned a class condition, the Greek language, the word if, can be taken several ways. This is the word since in the English language, not a great translation of this verse. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him, capital H, Jesus, those who sleep in Jesus. Paul reminds the believers of what they already believe. They believe that Jesus died and rose and was seen by 500 people, many of whom were still alive when Paul wrote this. They testified to having seen Jesus in his resurrection body, complete with scars and all. Jesus is coming back, he says. This is exactly what we believe. He conquered death. He's coming back so that he will recover our bodies. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10. We studied that already. God is going to come back and leave nothing to Satan. He's taking it all back. Everything is redeemed including your own body. Secondly, he's coming to serve us, First Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, in this reunion party. And then, thirdly, he's going to provide assurance for us of our relationship with him when suddenly we lift off with him. So, Paul is reminding the Thessalonians that they will see those whom they love who have gone to be with the Lord again. Their loved ones, in fact, are coming back with Jesus. That's what this says. Bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. The believer can be assured that we will see our loved ones again. Because Jesus conquered death. He went into the grave three days, came back, and you can be assured that you will do the same thing, and it has happened. To all those who have died, their soul and spirit gone to be with the Lord. So what does it mean, sleep, pastor? It says those who sleep in Jesus. Sleep was a Greek and a Roman euphemism, a colloquialism. It's like me saying, my mom has passed away. We like to soften <laughs> that whole death thing. And that's okay. But even in the Old Testament, this idea was brought forward. 1 Kings 2.10, David slept with his ancestors. Sleep, however, only applies to your physical body. It does not apply to your soul and spirit. They are with the Lord. Paul says so, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul wrote that he preferred rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. In Philippians 1.23, he his quote, desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better looking forward to death. He said, I'll stick around for you guys because you need me, but hey, it'd be a lot more fun when I'm with the Lord. Jesus spoke about sleeping in John eleven eleven. He was with his disciples down at Bethapar, down at the Jordan River, and his friend Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, had died. And there's this conversation going on between him and his disciples. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, well, if he sleeps, Lord, he'll get well. I'm sure Jesus hit his forehead a lot, but I'm really glad that the disciples just asked questions like that because I probably would have asked them and then I don't look so dumb. They did it for me. However, Jesus spoke of his death and they thought he was speaking about resting and sleep. Jairus' daughter, a 12-year-old little girl in Mark 5, 39. Jesus comes into the room. There's these professional wailers there, mourners. And he said, why are you making all this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead. She is sleeping. Now, don't let this terminology confuse you. Jesus is talking about our current physical body, not our soul and spirit. In Luke, 1620, Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You'll remember that Lazarus was a poor man. The rich man threw a few crumbs his way. They both died. And Lazarus went to paradise, and the rich man went to a hot place with a big abyss in between. But they were both conscious. They're both wide awake. They knew exactly what was going on. These verses teach us that believers go consciously into the Lord's presence at death. There are some today who teach soul sleep. This is not a biblical doctrine. Jehovah's Witnesses are the most well-known for teaching that. But how could unconsciousness be very much better, Paul said, than conscious communion with Jesus Christ in this life. Paul says, I want to go be with him. It's so much better. If you're asleep, soul and spirit, how is that better? Jesus promised the repentant thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. Moses and Elijah's souls are not asleep when they appeared with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17.3. Tribulation martyrs are described in Revelation 6, 9, very much awake. How long, O Lord, they say, before you will avenge us, those beheaded for their faith. No, there are very conscious people in heaven, and they're awaiting Jesus to come and do something. Even so, God will bring with him those, all of them who are in heaven, Jesus is coming back with, who sleep in Jesus. He's coming again for his church. And God is going to bring with him all of these whom we love, believers, often called the first resurrection. We'll study the second resurrection when we get to the book of Revelation. So that's sleeping saints. Only their bodies sleep because Jesus is going to reclaim them. How? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 15. For this we say to you, by the word of the lord paul says this is not my opinion this is what jesus taught me what he told me to write that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the lord will by no means precede those who are asleep go before those who are asleep so they're worried that grandma is in the grave and somehow missed out And paul says no not to worry about grandma she's going before you <laughs> in fact her body's gonna pop together with her soul and spirit And then, later, you and I will get to join them. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's going to be three sounds evidently here, three different audio events, if you will. The first one is a shout, probably from Jesus, although it doesn't say exactly. Jesus shouted when he stood in front of Lazarus' grave, remember? Lazarus had died. Four days later, Jesus shows up. He says, show me the grave, roll back the stone. He said, but Lord, he stinketh. I love the King James. He stinketh. <laughs> and they rolled it back. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. Now, he had to say Lazarus, come forth, because he had, had, he said, he's in the cemetery, And he says, come forth. Everybody would come out, it'd been a mess, there'd be overcrowding. You'd have to say, no, you guys go back, I'll be back later. Lazarus, you come forth. And so he did.
0: Thanks for joining us for the weekend edition of Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're going through the New Testament together from start to finish. And for a CD copy of today's message from 1 Thessalonians, just call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or you can listen online at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find an archive of past radio programs there too, which comes in handy should you miss a message on the radio. Go to packinghouse.org and look for our radio page. Growing Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. God is doing a great work through radio, and you can be a part of it. When you support us with a gift of any amount, we want to say thanks by sending you The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This is a classic devotional that has moved the hearts of believers from well over a century. Each chapter focuses on one attribute of God from God's infinitude to his immutability grace and goodness i think you'll find it to be both theologically rich and approachable again we'll send you the knowledge of the holy when you give a gift of any amount to grow in grace just call us at 844 77 grace that's 844 77 grace this program is presented by the packing house christian fellowship in redlands Built with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man sick be and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah my kingdom built with the blood of my son selfless sacrifice for everyone faith hope love and harmony i said let this world know me by your